Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Support for this episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting, home of the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, Flight School. MIPS Flight School helps clinicians earn their highest possible MIPS score in a group coaching setting and at an affordable price. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Ligia Ricciardi is joining us today. She's the Chief Transformation Officer over at Carium Health. Ligia shares her experiences of projects and impact that she had when she used to work for the Office of the National Coordinator in D.C., and how that is shaping the delivery of patient engagement solutions that she works on today. Let's take a listen. So, very big picture, I have been spending my career focused on strengthening and pushing forward the role of the consumer and patient in the broader healthcare context. And I've done that over the last, oh, about 20 years from a variety of different vantage points, from the public, private, and nonprofit uh, nonprofit sectors. So in terms of the private sector, I currently work at a company called Carium with an M, um, and that is a company which is building a a tool, um, a platform to engage consumers and patients in their health. Um, On the public side, I spent a number of years within the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, where I started their consumer and patient-focused work related to meaningful use and pulling in the Blue Button Initiative and other work in that area. Um, I've also spent some time in nonprofits, most most of it um, working with the Markle Foundation, um, which did a lot of work early on in helping different stakeholders come to agreement about the idea that maybe we really should digitize healthcare just like the rest of society, and maybe if we do that, we should even share data. So all those pieces. um, I've also spent a number of years self-employed consulting with all these different types of entities. So in terms of purpose, I'm always like passionately behind pushing the consumer and patient and their needs and um, empowerment forward. 
And um, organizationally, I actually really enjoy connecting different groups of people. I think since I've lived in a lot of these different places, I feel like I have an affinity for different kinds of viewpoints, like people who develop startups or patient advocates or people who are trying to make policy. Like I get what it looks like from your perspective. So I try to bridge those groups and often bring them together. How is it, how is it working for the Office of the National Coordinator? I mean, It was a very intense, incredibly rewarding, and sometimes massively challenging experience. But it was really, really fun. Because I was basically um, working in an area that hadn't yet been developed. And a lot of, uh, so ONC was in charge in part of overseeing a lot of money through meaningful use, $36 billion plus to digitize healthcare. And when Congress um, put that through, they were really thinking about how do we digitize health records and how do we make how do we make medicine very digital so that doctors can speak to one another and do research and improve population health? All of those things are incredibly important. But I think that they didn't quite understand how important the role of the individual person or consumer could be in making this whole picture much more effective because most of us spend most of our time way outside of the healthcare system. So our health is shaped by what we do every day not just whether we take our medications or whatever, but even in those cases where we're interacting with the healthcare system, the power of how our health turns out is often very much residing you know, with us as individuals. So I went into ONC thinking like, whoa, this is an amazing moment in time in which there's this infusion of focus and energy and cash in changing healthcare. Let's make sure as we do this that we bring in this consumer piece which, by the way, isn't just the consumer on their own, but also links back to the tech industry. And it's not just like, here, consumer, you now have access to your data. Go be healthier. But there are a lot of companies and entities that can support the individual, and that's why I'm working at Carium now, um, but you know, have worked with a lot of other companies, big and small, who are saying, okay, we're going to take data that consumers want us to use and repackage it and reuse it in ways that make sense for consumers, whether that's data from EHRs, which is sort of newly, again, thanks to meaningful use, digitized and flowing, or whether that's data that's collected through wearables and devices and um, information from our environments, you know, sensors and that kind of thing. So healthcare is complicated because you've got all these different pieces working together and... And they change all the oh time. Oh my goodness, they yeah. change all the time. And now like every, every company, if you just look on the sort of private sector side of things, um, a very high proportion of like the Fortune 500 are actually like working in healthcare in some ways. And you have many companies that didn't used to have anything to do with healthcare, like car companies, for example, that are building sensors into the steering wheel to like help you monitor your heart rate or whatever. Wow. So like now all of a sudden BMW is a healthcare company, really? You know, mm -hmm. not to mention of course, you know, Amazon, Google, um, think about it mm -hmm. though. Obviously there are many companies too like, um, you know, supermarket chains and so on that are also really of course play a massive role in healthcare. It's not just that they sell food, it's like what food do they promote and how and by the way, what data are they collecting about you and what you're actually buying? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. all of those things, it's like the world of healthcare is um, 
being, it's always been connected to the rest of our lives, but it's being connected in more obvious ways, still confusing because of all these new ways of getting data, mm -hmm. sharing data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the technology really has tendrils across all aspects of a person's life, yeah. all leading back to healthcare. Yes, and technology is one of the things. So I got into this whole field, not from the healthcare side, but more from the technology side and looking at changes over, um, I was writing case studies on for business school and um, looking at like, what are the biggest things that are changing society and like when you look at the rate of growth of technology and everybody's seen stats about how the amount of data that is generated every day is you know just going through the roof and um, that fundamentally changes things and it's really important that we think about how we apply it and why and to what end so being in this consumer focused patient focused space for so long is there a gap that maybe was identified early on that you think either tech has unified to date over your continuum of professional career thus far, or, is, well, is, is there a gap that either still exists that has a huge divide, or anything you've seen closed that either makes you particularly excited because it's really improved, or a deficit that is just feels like this foregone conclusion that we're never gonna solve? I tend to be an optimist, so I think and hope that we're going to solve a lot of things, although I also think that technology creates new problems we didn't mm -hmm. have. That's another <clears throat> side topic. <Yeah. laughs> um, but I think that one big gap is that um, if you look at the factors that contribute to a person's health, only about 10% of their overall kind of health outcomes or health picture is influenced directly by healthcare. So again, a lot of it's the rest of your life. It's like what you're eating, whether you're exercising, even your social interactions are contributing to your health. And in the recent past, you would only show up and see your doctor once or twice or however many times a year when you were sick. And then other times you're just like out in the world and you don't have any link back to your healthcare provider in any way. And that is still to a large extent the way a lot of us experience healthcare, but that's um, a gap that many are trying to fill, including the company where I work now. Um, but we're trying to build ways to extend the link between the person and their care team beyond those very few hours when you're actually in the same physical space. And that's through either a combination of collecting data, so pulling in all this data that impacts your health in a variety of ways and having new ways to measure it, right? Like knowing what your heart rate is, just being passively collected on your wrist, say, if you have a wearable that does that. Um, but also connecting you in real time or even asynchronously to people who can support you if you have a little question, mm -hmm. right? Like there you are suddenly on a random Sunday afternoon and you're trying to give your kids some medicine and there's some question, how do I convert it or whatever? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just send a text easily to someone who could help you out or have other ways to just link in a way that you couldn't have done 10, 20 years ago? So like bridging that gap between you in the health system and you outside of the health system, but still having some sort of cohesiveness. And I feel like that's a gap that we're working on right now, but I feel like there's such a long way before most of society gets there. Well, this whole, this whole transition to value-based care is such yes. a long journey. And I think people are resistant to change. They also want things to happen overnight. 
but with it, you know, of all the data that's coming in, people get excited, and you just realize like there is so much to be done. There's no way that this is a short-term goal. And when you think like, oh, it hasn't happened overnight, we're not there yet. And it's like, no, this is a lifelong journey, honestly. And I, I like to think that it's a process of incremental improvement. And instead of like poo-pooing whatever didn't work in the past, like how can we improve it in the future? But it is freaking complicated. It is and, complicated. Yeah, and, and it being, takes a long time, yeah. as you said. I think you were maybe going to ask um, if I had a magic wand or a magic hat or some kind of, <laughs> if I had magic. Mm-hmm. Like how, what might I do to improve healthcare? Definitely one of the things is speeding up that transition to value-based care. Because obviously, I think, and many other people do, we just have the wrong incentives underlying the whole system. But the process of getting to where we want to be is slow and difficult. And I understand that that's in part because it's hard to even figure out how to measure value. And because there are so many of these factors, as we were saying, that that contribute to health, how do you measure and document the direct link between a butterfly flapping its wings in China and like your sore throat. So one thing we talk about all the time is how do you measure stuff that hasn't happened? If we're talking about preventing people from getting sick in the first place or lowering costs, how do you measure some the the cost of somebody not going to the doctor? Totally. Quantify and when nobody and if you can't prove that they would have had to go to the doctor anyway, it's hard to get maybe a self-insured employer or a payer super excited about that but really actually there were massive savings incurred there yeah um so that's a big issue so we talk about defining value-based care and there's a big part of that that you're really a part of so it's highly believed that value is quality divided by cost right cost is both direct and indirect and then on the quality side, you have these metrics that the physicians are doing that's an evolution, and I have very strong opinions about that, but the other component of quality is patient experience. And you have seen multiple groups and being a connector and talking to people to visualize this through a different lens, but I'm sure you also recognize that someone with a chronic condition versus a relatively well person that maybe just sees their physician once or twice a year for preventative care have very different needs but also have very different values. Just like when I'm in a hurry as a mom, I might highly value just being able to be seen on time and moving on with my day. Totally. But when you're dealing with someone that has complex or chronic conditions, their values are different. So what does Carium offer or what have you seen done or what do you think has the biggest impact? You know, how do we begin to talk about the patient experience. I don't think we can can it. It doesn't just belong to a certain survey yeah. or a certain supplemental survey, which is antiquated, by the way. <laughs> but you know, how do you, how do you begin to do that? Because you know, I think even what I value today is may not be the same thing I value a year from now, right? Totally. And so, I actually want to take your question and maybe instead of going directly to patient experience, go back that one step to that issue of what is the value for the patient and what matters to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's so important because you're right. It's and I, like, I agree with this track you're going down because I think there's a industry definition yeah. for value, which I was describing, but the patient and it definition doesn't of value often is different. Take, even when you consider um, you know, cost and benefit, for example, my cost benefits as a patient, like can someone please take that into account somewhere? Because it really does have a negative impact 
on me and my family and my employer if I have to take a day out of work to drive up to a hospital that's maybe an hour and a half away mm -hmm. and sit there for three hours and all that stuff has all kinds of knock-on effects, not only on me directly, but also, again, on the economy when you look at people doing this in aggregate. So yes. kind of thinking about the holistic cost to society is part of the challenge. Um, but back to this idea of like stratifying patients, I think it's really exciting and awesome that through Pop Health, we're looking at, you know, which patients are in most acute need of certain kinds of interventions. It's important to look at health metrics and who's doing well by measures like who's got their A1Cs under control or who's likely to maybe um, experience an asthma flare-up or something under these conditions. That matters. Another piece of it, and we have plenty to do in getting that right, but I think that a part that many don't think about so much um, that we do at Carium is the, the kind of attitude side and the frame of mind that the person's in. You mentioned that as a mom, you might feel different on a certain day if you're hectic and rushed than maybe if another day when you're not in that kind of stressful scenario. And I think that over the course of people's lives, we can be in different points. We, we're, we care more or less about privacy in different situations. We care more or less about cost in different situations. If it's a real emergency, you're probably gonna pay kind of anything if you have to save your life. Mm -hmm. But in other mm -hmm. scenarios, why would you wouldn't be willing to stand for that if it's a matter of not really getting value out of it. Mm -hmm. um, but again, this taking into account not just the circumstances that the patient's in, but where they are mentally is really important. So for example, we ask questions in our app about your confidence level relative to managing your condition. Let's say you're trying to lose weight. We'll mm -hmm. ask you, how confident do you feel about managing your weight in this case? And if you say, I'm good, then it's kind of like, okay, she's all right. She maybe needs a little guidance. We'll give her access to any data or resources she wants, but that's fine. Whereas if you answer, I'm not so sure, I have a lot of questions, this is a real drag, I'm overwhelmed, then we can ask, well, would you, we can actually suggest people who answer as you do often benefit from getting more reminders or whatever. And then we can use either an, um, you know, an automated response or a computer-based response or uh, a real human to intervene and sort of check in and say like, okay, let's work on where you are mentally and overcome some of your challenges. So I like that there's a thoughtfulness to that, just like in the clinical space, you know, you look at the acuity alignment, right? Someone with a maybe a well-skinned check that doesn't need the help of maybe a Mohs surgeon or a high-level dermatologist mm -hmm. can see the PA or the nurse practitioner. Totally. But we're referring and aligning resources based on the clinical diagnoses, the diagnostics they may need, and what's going on with their prognosis. Yes. But you're really doing it at the point where the consumer can benefit from that information. So you've taken that acuity alignment, if you will, to the patient side yeah. to analyze that. And kind of the, like you said, just their mental well-being and state of what's going on and how yeah. they feel about these things and quantifying it and aligning resources accordingly. So we have an example that's kind of neat about um, a patient who was working through one of our partners. We partner with healthcare organizations and this patient, it's actually a couple, um, were being encouraged to drink less soda because they needed to manage weight, diabetes, other things. And so the coach who was working with our 
with our uh, platform was encouraging them to drink more water because if you drink more water, you're going to be drinking less soda. You just are. You're not mm -hmm. as thirsty. So she was suggesting this and they were like, well, I don't know. I can never measure how much water I'm drinking. I don't know. Is that a liter? Is that a pint? Blah, blah, blah. So she was able to say, okay, well, could you just take a picture of your bottle and send it to me? And I'll tell you. So they did that. And then she was like, yeah, this is XYZ. You need to drink four of those. But then I think because they felt heard and like someone cared about their particular water bottle that was like in their kitchen and yeah. it like mattered to them, they got more interested and they actually went out and they found a digital water bottle that would automatically track, okay, you've drunk X, you know, volume of water and we were able to integrate that into the app and then they felt like heard like it's not about the water in no. the end it's yeah. about feeling like someone understands you cares for you and is solving your problems in a way that matters to you and that you know now they're all like super excited they're like this app is so great i love it again it's really not about the water it's yeah. about feeling connected and supported and there's so much information around that. We know that when that touch point is higher and people feel heard and they can have that expression of empathy or understanding with somebody, we know they do better. Totally. Right? It's right. Like somebody has a vested interest. Totally. So that's really cool. Well, you, you brought up the magic question. Is that fully your answer? If you had any all-time resources... Right, if I really have magic, yeah, real I'm going to make sugar good for me, quite <laughs> honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think value-based care is huge. I also think... Well, wait, what's your favorite sugar treat? You have to tell our oh. listeners. I'm if sugar's good for us, donuts, like, what's your vice? I want donuts, I want cake, I want ice cream, <laughs> I want carbs. I'm Italian, I want pasta, <laughs> all of it. I could totally live on bread and butter and donuts. Uh-huh. But that probably won't happen. But anyway, that would be awesome. I guess um, the other thing that I would change if I could, and I know that this is kind of maybe doesn't require magic, but it's hard, is culture. And that's a theme that has come up um, a lot in recent conversations. And, and if we could shift the mindset so that people within the healthcare area, including consumers or patients themselves, felt more that consumers were real partners and participants in care and individuals felt empowered, just like that couple with the water bottle, to feel like, okay, I have a stake in this and I can make a difference, that would be huge. So if I could give a shot in the arm to cultural alignment in a way that is empowering and supportive, particularly of yeah. consumers, but also certainly to providers and um, a culture of hope, positivity, empowerment, then like everything else becomes easier. I like that a lot. I mean, in we've done a little bit of reading of the proposed rules, so that's our area of expertise. And they do seem to have the patient in the center, at least in yeah. theory. So I'd like to be able to see. And when I first got involved in all of this, it was around the same time of Meaningful Use and the High Tech Act passing. And I remember reading the strategic goal, there's the federal strategic plan for health IT, and I was like, there's a vision here. We're gonna go somewhere over the next five years. I can maybe like uh, tie my hitch to this and like, let's see where we're going. And they seem to update it every five awesome. years or so, which is I cool. have to work on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad someone read that. Yeah. yeah. No, oh, we did, I we both did. It helped shape my career. I, I'm not 
not kidding you. I, I honestly was like, okay, they say that they have a plan, so I know that for the next five years, we're going in this direction. I'm going to put my efforts to align with these. Yeah. Because if they've got the support of the government and the, you know, corporations and other, or, you know, organizations need to be in alignment. Yeah. I'm checking in every five years on that federal strategic plan and updating my, my own five-year plan. But it's nice That's to cool. see that they're starting to include the patients. Yes. And that becomes part of the story. And I think that culturally, yes. it, it's not that it just comes from one place, but getting all, you know, all of the stakeholders kind of aligned in what the vision is, it would be really nice to see us go in a more hopeful, optimistic direction. I know part of our question isn't to ask you how you would solve it, but for the patients that have their head in the sand out there. Yeah. What are your thoughts or what efforts have you seen where you try and just take that total apathy, turn that apathy into action for yeah. people that don't care? How do you, how do we, what have you done or what have you seen somebody do that maybe has taken somebody that doesn't care? Maybe not even an example. Like, what are your thoughts around that? Like, yeah. how do we get someone to even begin to get excited? Because I think when you have somebody that is interested, it's a lot easier to pique that interest than it is to take somebody who's just like, I don't care, this is garbage, and they're still, yes. you know, they're still drinking the soda, they're still not going to the doctor, their teeth are falling on their mouth, I don't even know what. But I mean, honestly, I think at the core, it is around these things that are not specific to a body part or an ailment or anything, but it really is about more of that empathy and culture and caring. As, As an example, I remember early on in my career, I was working in New York City, and there was a particular um provider I don't know if he's a he was a provider yeah who was working on teen pregnancies and you might think if your goal is to cut down on teen pregnancies that maybe you should do I don't know sex education or something like that and his approach was entirely to make these kids in particularly underserved inner city neighborhoods feel valued to give them hope for their education, for their future, girls in particular, saying like, you have a voice, I value you. What What is your plan for next year? I expect you to do good things and I know that you can and I will support you. And that, even though like, that doesn't have to do directly with pregnancy, had like measurable, his program had really statistically significant improvements in terms of cutting down teen pregnancies. Wow. Which again, it's not about here, here's a condom or whatever. It's like giving you purpose and direction and helping you understand that maybe becoming a mother really early in your life isn't the best thing for you and your future and maybe your kid and your community too. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of core human stuff I think that matters. I love that. I think that seems to be a resounding theme where there is definitely substantial success and you gave us a couple other examples of that earlier on so it's kind of neat to hear but I mean that really gets to the core of what might help and I think if I think a little end-to-end in that transaction if you're one of those young girls or you do go on you graduate high school and you go into college or other education or get a job at that point in time or when they do become a mom you probably have somebody that cares a little bit more about getting to the pediatrician for the checkup or making sure they're doing these certain things and that, you know, we're we're moderating the amount of fast food in our bodies. Whether or not they care more or not, they likely have more resources. They likely are more capable of, you know, being able to 
mm-hmm. fulfill all of the requirements of being a mom when you and they're probably a, a better kid. parent because yeah. being a mom is a really really serious job and it's really hard and taxing mm-hmm. especially if you're doing it along with just trying to be a human in whatever other capacity whether you're a working mom or not most mm-hmm. people have a lot that they're juggling and um, it does feel like something that it takes a lot of like wisdom and skill and hard work to do well absolutely well I haven't done it yet <laughs> and they've always had that decision to be made about like do I feel ready um, honestly well I'm you're like, never oh, gonna feel totally exactly. ready so at a certain point I think maybe if it's it. <laughs> something you think you want to do you have to just jump in but it's a really hard job mm-hmm. and it's always changing too well bringing that back into healthcare. So yeah. our conversation about how complicated it is, and you definitely have experience from all different angles, and knowing that things change on a regular basis, how do you keep up? What do you, what do you read? What do you listen to? What are what is on your, yeah. your radar to to stay up to date? So one thing that I find incredibly helpful is tapping into social media, and that's something that's been useful for me for about I think I've been on Twitter for about ten years. And um, part of what I like it I like about it is not only the connections to people, but very often people put out resources that I wouldn't otherwise have known about. And I follow links and I learn things quickly. So if you kind of curate and follow people whom you admire and you want to learn from, and then you just see what they're learning, you can go a pretty long way with that. Not just Twitter, but LinkedIn and other things. But I feel like the digital health community is particularly strong in the Twitter area and there are a number of blogs and podcasts and other things in that context that I really like. Um, I certainly read um, Health Populi, which is Jane Saracen Khan's blog. Um, I also like Zev Newman's, um, what is it, Creating a New Healthcare. Um, I also definitely read the healthcare blog and other things that I think are, you know, worthwhile, mainstream news. But I also like listening to stuff like, um, and in part because I'm at a startup, but even when I wasn't, how I built this on NPR is always Mm -hmm. like inspiring and fun. Um, Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of like an omnivore. I like sampling from a lot of different things and making connections. And um, but I would repeat again that often social media and recommend recommendations from friends or people that I um, want to learn from make a big difference. The health IT community Mm -hmm. on Twitter is pretty fantastic. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And people do curate a lot of really unique and different resources, and I agree with you. Sometimes the people I admire or follow, too, I am really interested to know what they're looking at because they're at the cutting edge of something or in a neat place in their career. And you learn not just by going and seeing, like, oh, what article came out, what are the points of news, but... If you follow someone on Twitter and you're like, wow, that's a really interesting perspective, or they're really smart, I'll go and I'll dig into like, who is this person? Mm-hmm. What do they do? Mm-hmm. And that you're learning from that too, even though it's not like a recent news piece, but it's helping you put into context all these pieces and how they fit. So if people want to find you, Ligia, or yes. want to know more about Carium and what you're doing, yes. what are your handles? What are your links? Where cool. can we find you? All right. So, um, Social media is easy because it's always there. Um, so I, my personal handle is at Ligia, 
L-Y-G-E-I-A on Twitter. Cariums is at Carium Cares. Um, you can also find both me and Carium on LinkedIn, if you can spell my name. <laughs> but there aren't that many Ligeas, so L-Y-G-E-I-A. And Carium is C-A-R-I-U-M dot com. Um, so we also have a website. Um, so I would suggest that, but feel free, honestly, through social media to, to contact me and check in. Um, my email address is lygia.richardi at carium.com, but social media is probably easier. Right. We are creating a LinkedIn group that's connecting oh, cool. podcast guests with listeners. Oh, I love it. So I'll make sure you're invited. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Can I ask you one other question? Yeah. In all you've done from like the ONC to now, you know, is is that where you began your professional career was there? Or that's no. where it began in healthcare? What was before that? So my very first job, um, we're recording this in Boston and I'm from Boston. So I was lucky to get this job working for a business historian at Harvard Business School. And I was his research associate helping him understand American history, actually. So American business history. I didn't even know anything about business because I had been a history major. <laughs> um, but anyway, I was really interested in learning about kind of what were the big trends in history and writing case studies and things like that. And as I continued to work with him, we did a number of case studies that were related to technology. And I was like, ding, 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 technology is the big thing that is totally changing our era in time. That's cool. I want to be a part of that. And then further on, I thought, okay, and I'm really interested in the social change aspect of that. Not just that technology can make business more effective and efficient, all of which is true and exciting, but I also liked this idea that technology is often also kind of a Trojan horse for empowering people, whether mm -hmm. in healthcare or in education or in other areas, it takes down hierarchies and enables people to connect in ways they couldn't before. So I got jazzed about that. And after working um, at the business school writing case studies, I actually worked for one of my case study subjects, who was somebody who, a guy named Reed Hunt, who was becoming chairman of the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. And he was like, come to Washington, come work for me. And I was like, all right, I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I went and I learned more about like technology and policy. Wow. And in that role, started learning about its application to healthcare and education both and getting jazzed about that. That's so awesome. that was the early part. Yeah. You've had such a cool you know, career, it seems like. It's been fun. Yeah. Often, um, Sometimes I think it would be really so much easier to follow a more predictable, traditional kind of path, like go to law school, join a law firm, like you sort of know what the path is a little bit. And I feel like my path is in some ways very winding, but I always stay true to, definitely I've been really excited about technology and this idea of empowerment and health. But I also just believe if you're fortunate enough to be able to work on something that you care about and you're excited about, it's kind of like it's not work in the traditional sense mm -hmm. like it's fun mm -hmm. like you can actually you know get paid or pay yourself to do stuff that you really really care about and that's really awesome well thank you so much for sharing your story it's been really great talking to you you guys too it's thank totally you. fun <laughs> 
and thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybirdinc.com.